All right, well, it's good to be with you again this morning. Uh, As Richard said earlier, we did have quite a crowd last week, and I thought, well, I don't want to mention that because then it makes us think like, well, we don't have it this week, but uh, we still do have a good crowd this morning, and I'm thankful that we have um, everyone that is here. Uh, That's one of the blessings of our location that we talked about a few months ago about, you know, just the... um, how close we are to in, in our vicinity to where people are going to be traveling and people are here for conferences, things like that, trying to go to the World of Coke, the Aquarium, whatever it might be. Um, you know, so we get to benefit from, from our location in a, uh, in a great way from time to time. But also it's good when we have people that visit that are from the actual community that uh, just look us up or at least look for a, a group meeting close by and they wind up coming in uh, – checking us out and you know we, I don't think we want to try to just put our best foot forward only when they're here um, the truth is something I've had to think about a little bit more lately is my preparation for for um, whether it's a class a sermon song service whatever it is doesn't need to change no matter who is going to be here or not but on the another level to that is or another step beyond that is my preparation just to worship God period shouldn't change no matter who's going to be or who's not going to be here. So um, that's something I'm going to try to work on. I would say that if you're like me and that's something that you find yourself doing, you, know, you kind of get a little more pumped up when there's more people. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but maybe that's an opportunity to kind of check and see, am I, is my preparation the same? Am I, am I ready to worship God the same no matter who's here or who's not here? So um, anyway, we, we are going to be talking about our theme this morning. And obviously, um, the, what we're going to be talking about, if you pay attention to the list at all, is in Second Peter 1. And we've been through the qualities. Now we're going to talk about what he says in verse 9. Um, just to remind everyone, our learning goal is that we are trying to learn life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Which is basically what he says in verse 3. Um, and then he does kind of repeat himself later on, just in, in different words, but he says the same basic thing. But that's taken basically from verse 3. And then our living goal is we want to obtain an increase in the divine nature to be fruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as far as the divine nature, that's what we've been talking about with the qualities. Um, and so since we finished that up, now it's, okay, so now what do we do now? Well, we need to be fruitful. And we'll talk about how we can be fruitful, what we're to be fruitful in. But let's just start with Second Peter, and we'll read. Uh, I feel like, feel like we've read this. It must be twenty times this year, uh, but maybe maybe more than that. Maybe more like thirty uh, times because we bring it up often, and I think that's helpful to us so that we actually are retaining the information. Maybe we're seeing different things when we read it from time to time. But let's let's read Second Peter one three through uh, three through ten. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Like I said, that's been our learning goal. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of the sinful desire. So that's part of our living goal. We want to uh, partake in the divine nature. And then he goes on and he says, For this very reason... So it's basically saying, like, to attain that, add, uh, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, 
and knowledge with self-control is self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. I'll tell you something that's kind of funny is until right now, I didn't really think about the word supplement your faith. I'd always just thought of the word add. And so that's like a step-by-step kind of thing. But supplements are to be taken uh, at the same time as something. If you're at all interested in taking supplements to help with health, whether it be because you want to lift weights, you want to run, whether just be more active, or it's just because you're, you want to help your body be healthier, it's meant to supplement. It's meant to go side-by-side side with something else. I didn't really think about that. Maybe someone had already brought that out um, earlier, but I didn't re- that, didn't re- that word didn't really stand out to me as we were reading that. So uh, that further proves that reading Scripture over and over again is not a bad thing. Um, 4, verse 8, If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, one of the interesting things that I, I noticed, and it's not a perfect comparison, but as I was preparing uh, for today, I noticed that verse 3 and 4, they have very similar characteristics to 10 and 11 to me. Um, He talks about life and godliness. He talks about his own glory and excellence. And then you look at verse 11, uh, uh, entrance into eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I, I feel like those are very similar thoughts, just phrased differently. Um, and then you look at verse four, grant us very uh, precious and very great promises. Well, that also goes along with verse 11. Um, you may be partakers of the divine nature. Well, and then if you look at verse 10, he says, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Um, that reminds me of the promises. It makes me think of his own glory and excellence. Um, and then he says, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Uh, so, you know, that kind of goes along with what he says at the end of verse 4 a little bit, that we've escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So I say that just to say I hadn't really noticed that until, until studying for this, that all these qualities that we've been through, they're kind of bookended by the fact that we have great promises. God is calling us to be partakers of life and godliness, which also has to do with we're, we're attaining to or trying to rise up to his glory and excellence, and that... Um, all that has to do with us also be being more like him, being a partaker of the divine nature. Um, and that the end goal is that we have an entrance into the eternal kingdom. Um, so it kind of, uh, I thought that was interesting that, uh, for, to me, three and four, uh, are very similar to 10 and 11. And in between that, we have all these qualities we've talked about, um, what it means to be a partaker of the divine nature. And now we have what we're talking about today, which is, that we need to be increasing in them because that will keep us from being ineffective or unfruitful. The actual title that we have is being fruitful as opposed to ineffective. It actually doesn't say anything about being fruitful. It just talks about being unfruitful and keeping away from being unfruitful. So I want to talk a little bit about what this means. So just to ask the question, what does it mean to be fruitful? Well, Let's first talk about what that te- the words the text actually uses. So if you look at verse 8, he says, 
that uh, they keep you from being ineffective. The other word for that would be barren. And by the way, ineffective or unfruitful, as my translation says it, they're, they're very similar words. But there, there is a little bit of a nuanced difference, I think. The first word, ineffective, is the same word as barren. So barren would be that they're idle. Maybe they're in the right place, around the right people, it's the right time, but they're not doing anything productive. Everything is there, all the components seem to be there to be productive, but they're not. That's really what it means to be barren. Although, if you think back, I can't help but think back to um, instances in the Old and New Testament where it mentions that someone was barren. So something was missing, okay? But it, on the surface, everything seems like it's there, set up, ready to be fruitful, right? You think back to Sarah. Sarah and Abraham. Everything seemed like it was fine, but she was barren for a long time. And then you think about Rebecca. And actually, it was interesting as I was looking at that story. You have, you have uh, Jacob who is... Well, he kind of was tricked into taking one wife. He didn't choose to take two wives. Um, he was tricked into the first, and it says that he hated her, really. Um, and he wanted Rebecca the whole time. He thought he was getting Rebecca. One of the things it says there is that God, and it doesn't say that, she, that it doesn't say that Leah was barren, but it says God opened her a womb because Jacob overlooked her. He he hated her, and I th- I, don't, I think it was just because. He was duped a little bit. He had his heart set on Rebecca, and he woke up, and there was Leah. Um, and I can't relate to that, so I don't know what that's like. But I can only imagine that uh, high hopes are now then uh, crushed. Um, and it says that God opened her womb. Okay, I don't know if that means that she was barren, but I know that God intervened in that so that Leah would actually be recognized. But then later on, it does say that Rebecca, uh, that she was barren, and that God then blessed her. But then you go on and you think of uh, the story of Samson. And uh, his father was Manoah. It doesn't mention who his wife was, but it says that she was barren. And there was much prayer. There was much, uh, um, I guess, uh, attention given to that. And they, they, you know, they asked the Lord to intervene and help. And she bore son, Samson. And then think of Elizabeth in the New Testament. Uh, John the Baptizer's mother. It said that she was barren for a long time. One of the things I want to point out is the fact that and this is kind of um, a different phrase that's used in a different context most of the time. But in all of those instances, there had to be a change agent. There had to be something, some force, somebody that was seemingly on the outside that intervened to, to affect what was going on, to change the outcome. And that was God. God intervened in all of those instances. And there were others probably, but those are the most... Uh, popular ones that I thought of that, that popped up when I when I started searching for it as well. I thought, well, okay, those are the ones that stand out to me. Um, God is the one who intervenes when there is something barren. Only God can change that. And I would say that as we think about ourselves and we, as we go on and we talk more about being barren or unfruitful, we need to realize that God is the only one that can intervene, that can change that for us, okay? But we'll get into later how can we actually be fruitful? But anyway, so that's what it means to be barren. And then when he talks about being unfruitful, well, that made me think back to the parable of the sower, and we'll go to that in a little bit. But being unfruitful obviously means that you're not fruitful. You're, you're lacking fruit. Well, what does it mean to actually bear fruit? Well, according to some scripture, that would be that you bear fruit of, of oneself or of one's deeds. Um, that's not exactly how some of the definitions phrased it, but it did phrase it, bearing fruit of oneself. 
So what that says to me is that you can bear fruit within yourself and how you've grown, or you can bear fruit outwardly by the things that you do. But what I want to focus on is the fact that the goal is that you bear fruit outwardly because of the fruit you've borne of yourself. And I think that we have some other scripture that helps us to understand that. Go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Because really what we're talking about is can I bear fruit of myself and not bear fruit outwardly? Or can I bear fruit outwardly and not bear fruit of myself? And what really what, what we're talking about is can I grow in Christ just in and of myself? Like nothing changes outwardly? Nothing, nobody else is affected that I'm around? And the answer is no to that. Or can I, can I really bear fruit of Christ and bear fruit of God only outwardly and I myself have not changed and, and grown in Christ and, and bore fruit of myself? And I would think the answer is no as well to that. So let's go to, Matt, uh, Mark. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7. And we'll read a few verses there. Matthew chapter 7, this is towards the tail end of Jesus' um, Sermon on the Mount. This is one of his most popular sermons that he probably repeated several different times. And we'll look at verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the deceased tree, uh, excuse me, the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Keep that in mind and let's go over to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. So that was like the negative example. You have false prophets, false teachers, and they are bearing bad fruit because they are a bad tree. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. A bad tree cannot bear uh, good fruit is what he says. Now Matthew 12 and let's go down to verse 33. Either make the tree good or its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned." So specifically here, he's talking about our speech and what we say. But I think this relates to the passage we just read in this way. And also, uh, by the way, when he says evil treasure uh, or just good treasure and evil treasure in verse 35 of Matthew 12, I wonder if that's just him saying the heart in a different way. Um, that out of the good treasure, you bring forth good. What we just said is out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So I think the evil treasure, good treasure, is evil heart, good heart, or the abundance of a good heart, or abundance of an evil heart. So the lessons we get from these two, I think, is that um, only healthy, only healthy trees bear good fruit. That a bad tree does not produce good fruit, even if it can appear that way for a time. And when it comes to our speech, he says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and a tree is known by its fruit. Well, let's apply that to everything. Can I do good things and have a bad heart? Well, the answer to that is a little bit tricky, isn't it? And what popped in my head was the time when Jesus saw a tree that looked like it had fruit. He saw a fig tree, right? And then he got closer and he realized that it didn't have any fruit at all, or at least it wasn't time. And he cursed that tree. 
And then they come back, the disciples see the tree later on, and they, they realize, wow, that tree's dead. That tree's never going to, and Jesus said that's true, this tree will never bear fruit again. And I wonder if that's what he can see in people as well. They seem to have signs of fruit, but as you get closer, there is no fruit there. And I think that's what we see in people as we get closer to them. And that might be at times what people have seen in us, that we seem like we have fruit. As they get closer to us, and I don't mean physically necessarily, although that probably will help, but just closer to us, they're around us more, we're around them more, that's when you really see what kind of tree you're dealing with. That's what you really see the type of person in the heart that you're dealing with. And therefore, that informs you of the fruit that you've already witnessed. But on the surface, you can see if it's good fruit or bad fruit. But it is only when you get closer that you will see if it's a good tree or a bad tree. So how about us? When it comes to being fruitful, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, it means that I need to be changed inwardly before I can be changed outwardly. It means I must... Um, be a good tree in order for me to bear good fruit. I must be of Christ for me to bear fruit of Christ. I must be of God in order for me to bear fruit of God. And I think that that is also informed by Mark chapter 4. Let's go to Mark 4. This was the first passage that popped in my head when I started thinking about this lesson. And maybe it was the same for all of you when you thought of just being fruitful. I thought of Mark 4. Um, where he talks about the parables here. Let's go ahead and read the parable of the sower, and then we'll uh, skip down a little bit and read a, a few other verses. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into the, a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things and parables. And his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had, not, it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no grain. And this is the part that stands out to me for, for our uh, lesson today. Other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now let's skip down a little bit. Let's skip down to verse um, verse twenty. This is when he's explaining the parable to just a smaller group, just to the disciples. Those who were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. So how can I bear fruit? How can I be fruitful or start being fruitful? I know what it means to bear fruit. I, I get the concept, and we'll talk a little bit more about what that actually looks like um, in a second. But, but how can I be fruitful? How can I start bearing fruit if I feel like I've been barren and idle for a while? Well, the first thing I think that we learn is that you can only bear fruit if you are based and grounded in the Word. You can only bear fruit if you're based and grounded in the teaching of Christ. That shouldn't be shocking to us because what does he say back in 2 Peter 1? How are we bearing fruit? In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this sounds very similar to me. So we can, it, both in Mark 4 and in 2 Peter 1, it's very clear. We can only be fruitful in Christ if we receive the knowledge of Christ and we are adding to our knowledge 
the more of the things that he has said, and we're actually gaining understanding. That's the only way I'm going to be fruitful. Let's go over to 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. And let's take a look at verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks of the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This doesn't sound like he's talking about bearing fruit, but I think that's exactly what he's talking about. Because if you look at what's uh, gone on previously, what he's talked about is there are people who have suffered in the flesh because they've stopped sinning. They've ceased from sin. They've turned away from that that way of life. But there are other people who maybe have not turned away from that, uh, and and it kind of describes how they've lived. And really what he's doing is he's saying, you once lived like this. You once lived like the Gentiles, okay? And this is what your life looked like. Well, those aren't people that are bearing fruit. Not according to Christ, at least. Uh, another passage we'll go to uh, would signify that they are bearing fruit of, of death. Um, and that will be in Romans that we'll go to in a little bit. And then he says, verse 6, that we didn't read, For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. I don't want to get into exactly what he's talking about there because I don't know if I have a good answer because it seems like he's talking about something from First Peter chapter 3. He talks about Noah. In the days of Noah, Christ preached to the spirits that were in prison. I don't get all of that, but let's just, let's just say that what he's saying here is these people were dead spiritually because they lived according to the Gentiles. They did not live according to God. And that the gospel was preached to them so that they might live, so that they might come out of their death and into life. That sounds like exactly what we are hoping to be. That sounds exactly like what we believe we have when we trust in Christ and believe in him based on what we've heard. So what does he say here? How can I be fruitful or start being fruitful? What he says is um, that for those of us that have heard the gospel preached and have believed in that and have set our intention to follow it, what he says in verses specifically 9 through 11 is that it's only through God. You look at verse uh, 10. We've received a gift to serve one another. I already talked about hospitality. But where does that gift come from? Well, it comes from God. He says, as good stewards of God's varied grace. That's something that each of you has received. So therefore, you've received that and you are able to share that. And then he says, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Those are God's oracles that we have that we can speak. And then he says, uh, those who serve, the one who serves by the strength that God supplies. If you want to be fruitful because you realize you've been idle, what you need to realize is that's not just something you're going to um, set your intent on and say, tomorrow I will wake up and be fruitful to the Lord. What I first need to do is I need to seek God. And I need to understand the, the things that he has supplied to me. And only then can I be fruitful in him. 
And then I need to make sure I pray. That's one of the reasons I wanted uh, Richard to read Psalm 113. is because that psalm is a psalm of praise to God for who he is, for what he has provided. And at the end there, he talks about the woman that is barren. And it is only through God that anyone that is barren can be fruitful. And if we find ourselves questioning or, or lost in this whole um, idea and conversation, because I don't know how to be fruitful, you are not turning to God fully. You're, 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 you're turning to him for how you can be benefited because you want eternal life, but you're not turning to him on how you can be changed and therefore bear fruit. And I know that sounds like that's a little bit um, of a, maybe, maybe you feel like that's a little stretch because I don't know you, I don't know your situation. I think that's just across the board, the reality. And I, I feel that way because of my own experiences. That when I feel like there's a disconnect in my life and the fruit I'm bearing and what I think I'm trusting in and what I say I believe in, it's because I have not fully turned to God. I'm not turning to him uh, to see his very grace. I'm not turning to him to see his teaching and the oracles of God. And I'm not turning to his strength to see how it strengthens me to serve. So how can I be fruitful? I must turn to God. I must be grounded in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I must believe and receive the word. Now let's go to Romans 7. This is the passage I mentioned where it talks about uh, bearing fruit of death. Romans 7, and we'll read just a couple of verses here. Romans 7, beginning of verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you, have all, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might, may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. This passage sounds very similar to me uh, to Romans 6, verses 5 through 11. You were dead... Now you're alive. And what Romans 6 says is that happens because you see Christ, he was dead and he was raised from the dead. Now you can do the same thing by being baptized and you, you're raised to walk in newness of life. Well, I think that newness of life means bearing fruit of God based on what Romans 7 says. It says, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now... We are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Through the knowledge of Jesus, I can die to the law because of his sacrifice. I'm then raised up, like Romans 6 says, but I'm raised up for a purpose, and that's to bear fruit of God. Once we bore fruit for death, that was because we lived a sinful life, and according to the law, we were condemned. And I was only, I'm only able to bear fruit of death once I have uh, lived a life of flesh, according to the law. That's not so according to the law of Christ. Because I could be, live according to the flesh, and I could live that life, and then I can be changed. And that's exactly what he's saying here. That's what we just saw uh, back in First Peter, that they once walked in that way, according to the Gentiles. But now they don't. Under the law, a life according to the flesh can never bear fruit of God. But after we've been freed from that, we, can, we serve differently and therefore we are fruitful unto God. Basically what I think this is getting at is that I can't expect to live the same life I lived prior to Christ. And all of a sudden magically bear fruit according to God. Bear, fruit, the, bear, bear the fruit of God. Um, I can't expect to just show up to worship services or go to some Bible studies 
maybe I don't curse as much as I did. Maybe I don't, uh, maybe there's certain things I don't do because I realize, well, they're more outward. So other people are going to judge me based on that because I say I'm a Christian. I can't just change those things and expect to really bear fruit of God. What I must do is I must go from dead to living. I must go from dead in my sins to now living in the spirit. And what that means is I'm dead to the flesh. I'm dead to the sinful desires, okay? That's not to say I'm not enticed. That's not to say that um, at times I don't still sin and that all of a sudden if I do sin, I can never bear fruit of God again. Now what that is saying is that my intention and the, and the path that I walk on, as, as we read in 1 John um, and studied through that several uh, weeks ago, I, I must walk in the light as he is in the light. I cannot walk in darkness and say I'm in light. And I think that's the same thing we're saying here. Let's go back over to Second Peter. There's another thing I want to bring out that I think helps us to understand this a little bit better. He, he says in verse, um, where was it? Oh, it's verse eight. Um, he says, and I'm going to bring this up later, but he says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, if I was to write out a list and it wasn't, you know, I didn't give much instruction. I just said, here. And I just made a list of, let's say I made a list of uh, carrots, mushrooms, onions. And I made a list of all, all these different types of foods. And I said, you need to have those. Well, what, what are you going to do with that? You're going to say, well, I need to go buy those. I need to see what I don't have. I need to go get them. Um, but what if I said, okay, now I, I'm going to make a list. I'm going to say self-control, virtue, faith, love, brotherly affection. Go get those. Do you view it the same way where you say, okay, I, I need to find out how I can go get those. Where, what, do I, what am I lacking? Let me go get what I'm lacking. What do I already have? Well, let me just make sure that what I have is still good. <laughs> Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes I think I have a certain food and then I'm like, oh yeah, I got that. I can, I can make guacamole. I have avocados and I forgot that I bought the avocados two weeks ago. Well, I don't, I can't have guacamole anymore. You know, um, I would let Richard make the guacamole anyway. So, um, and I think the important thing to realize is that I must go to the appropriate place to get those qualities. But what also I'm doing, just like I bought those vegetables, I am taking ownership of these qualities if they are yours and are increasing, I need to own those. And I don't, I don't mean that they become only mine, but I need to see this as a very personal thing that I am getting this from God and they are mine now. And I can own them and I can put them on and I apply them. Um, it's not like I'm lost as to how I can apply self-control to my life. I need to take ownership of that so that I can know how to apply that. If I just see it as a good thing I should attain, I really, I really fall short on actually applying it. If I see love as being, oh, that's a great thing that I should do, I, I'm going to really fall short on applying that in my life. But I say, I must be about love. Love must be mine. The love of God must be in me. Then I can seek how I can apply that. Now I can be changed by that. 
So now I guess the, the last question I have is, what does this look like? Uh, what does it look like to bear fruit? What does it look like to make sure I'm not barren? And then I'm also increasing in these things that I'm bearing fruit in. Let's go over to Colossians 1. Colossians chapter 1. I want to start in verse 3, and we're going to read several verses here. We're going to read 3 through 10. Actually, we might go 3 through 14. Paul says, we, also thank, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before of, in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from, the, from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Did you notice what's bearing fruit there? The gospel is bearing fruit. He says, and, and you're proof of that. And he highlights it once again, the fact that they heard it and understood uh, this gospel and heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Then he says in verse 9, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I think that this passage kind of sums up all the verses that I've read. Um, because he talks about our foundation being in the knowledge of Jesus and of the grace of God in truth. He talks about the fact that we have been delivered from the domain of darkness. It talks about the fact that now that we've been delivered uh, from that, we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. And then he says that we are bearing fruit in every good work. And along that, at the same time, we are also increasing in our knowledge of the Lord. In this prayer, Paul, I think, encapsulates all the things that, that we need. And he makes it very clear how we can bear fruit. We bear fruit because of our knowledge and understanding of God. We bear fruit because of the grace of God and truth. But we bear fruit because we've turned from our former manner of life and now we're walking in a manner that is pleasing to God. And then he doesn't detail all the ways that we can bear fruit. He just says bearing fruit in every good work. Um, I, I've always been one that I need some specific instructions. <laughs> I'm not very good at just being given hey, do accomplish this. I mean, if it's something that I've already done before, and so you've already taught me the specific steps, maybe I'm okay. And even then, you know, if I run into a snag or some difficult circumstance, I could probably figure it out because you've showed me these steps and I know what it's supposed to look like. But just to say, like if my granddad, I remember we would always be working on some sort of project or working in the garden or something like that. If he just said, Blake, go till the, the garden. 
Uh, no, I don't, I don't know where to do. I don't know where to start or anything. Now I would need a refresher course even now. But because he taught me how to do certain things, I knew exactly what he meant. I knew the steps. I knew what to do. I wonder if sometimes we feel like that's our situation right now, that we're just told to bear fruit in every good work. Bear fruit. Just go do that. And then we're sitting by and we're thinking, I need someone to point the, point the way. I need someone to give me some direction. I mean, sometimes we can feel like God hasn't done that for us when in actuality I, I think he has. I think he sums it up by just saying in every good work. And I think in Ephesians 2 is very clear with saying that he's created us for good works. But what works? Well, what has been the pattern and what has been the source of all of the knowledge we have attained so far? It's been Christ. Um, one of the things I think it's important for us to realize is that Jesus Christ, uh, as he lived as a man, set us very clear examples for what we should do and not do and how we should uh, conduct ourselves um, around people, whether the people of the world or other Christians. Sometimes I find myself just thinking Jesus is a good example of how to go through suffering. What I fail to realize is Jesus is a good example of things like self-control and compassion and love and brotherly affection. Jesus is a good example of virtue and faith even. So when we look at all those qualities, if I want to own those, if I want to see how can I apply those, what should I do with the fact that I know I need to do that, well, it might seem like a cop-out answer, but the truth is I, I really just need to turn to Christ. I need to look to him. Um, but something is that maybe it would be helpful for us to think about. I don't want to leave you with just saying just go read more, although I think that probably would be helpful. Bearing fruit looks like a life of a redeemed person. Bearing fruit looks like someone that continually gives thanks to God because They've been transferred from darkness to the light of his kingdom. Bearing fruit looks like a person that is patiently waiting the day of the Lord with joy and not sorrow or grief. It doesn't look like someone waiting for the day of the Lord in laziness. There are other passages that, that would talk about that. I think that's something that maybe even the Thessalonians had some among them that were struggling with that. And if we go back to 2 Peter 1, as I've already mentioned, we need to see these qualities as being ours. And we need to increase in them. I need to own them and grow in them. And growing in them isn't just something I do now and I, and I think I'm good. Think back, for some of you, whether you're 20 or 60 or beyond that or somewhere in between, is your self-control as a 20-year-old the same it was as a 13-year-old? I would hope not. I was around a lot of 13-year-olds for camp. And that was awful. And I loved a lot of them. Um, I'm going to say all. No, I, I, they, were, they were all okay. Um, and some of them were great. Um, I don't want to act like I loved all of them and that they, everything was all great. Um, but I will say that it reminded me as now that I'm 30, I was just like, there's no way I was like that. And I was like, I probably was exactly like that. Self-control is just not existent. So as a 20-year-old or a 30-year-old, am I acting like that? Do I have that same self-control? Am I, uh, do I have the same amount of faith as I did when I was th that old, that age? Or what about when you get to be 40 or 50 or 60 or you know, 80, whatever it might be? Does 
you're, you still have the same level of knowledge and virtue? Or have you grown in that? Have you been increasing in that? And these are not questions that I can answer for you. These are only questions that you can answer as you look at your life and you look at how you're living. What about your brotherly affection? Is it the same as a 60-year-old as it was when you were 30? Well, I hope not. I hope not because I, re I realize where my shortcomings are and I hope that one day I can look back and say I'm not in the same place as I was when I was 30. I'd like to think that in some ways I look back and I think I'm not the same as I was when I was 20. But through that process of really taking a look at these qualities and seeing how it plays out in, in our lives, I think we can really assess where we are. And we can assess if we've really added these things to our faith. If we can assess if we've been increasing them or if we've been idle and barren in them. I think it would be a sad thing for someone to realize that they had been so good in certain aspects, but they had just fallen short and been totally barren in other aspects. And I, I don't know what God's going to do with that. So being fruitful is important because I can't expect to be fruitful to the things of God without putting on the things of God. Even if it's a varying level, even, even if my knowledge is here and like my godliness somehow is here because of the influence around me, I'd need to increase my knowledge. Maybe, maybe my self-control is low, but my brotherly affection is high. Well, I really need to increase my self-control. And in that, I will find myself increasing in brotherly affection as well. Those are just some examples of things that I, I think that we understand and that we need to work on and we understand how they work together. But we need reminders of that. And I would say that, just to sum it up, the, the most important thing I think that we can understand from this lesson as opposed to when it comes to bearing fruit is that I can only bear fruit if I'm grounded in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I can only bear fruit if I am relying and looking to God for the strength and the understanding and his grace so I can share that and I can understand it and I can see how to apply these qualities. But I have to own these qualities. They have to be mine that I see, not just as a list that I go to a supermarket and get, but as something I, tr I truly see as being essential for my life. If I want to look the way God wants me to look, this is, this is I mean, for just to keep the same metaphor, this is the recipe for it. If you leave something out, it's not what God wants you to look like. If you want to be fruitful and you want to leave one of these things out, you're not going to be fruitful the way God wants you to be. And if you're not fruitful the way God wants you to be, then I suppose we could say verse 9 is true of you. Because you're lacking these qualities and you're nearsighted and you're, and you're blind. You've forgotten that you were cleansed from your former sins. One of the greatest motivations for me is that I think of the life that I lived before Christ. And then I think... If I don't want all those things that come along with that life, and I know exactly what that life looked like for me, then I must give those up. I must pursue these qualities, and I must be fruitful. And I think in doing that, it says in verse 10 that we will never fall. We need to be fruitful, and we need to be fruitful in, in ourselves, grow, strengthen our knowledge and understanding. Um, I need to be purposeful and set out to to really apply certain qualities in my life, and then I need to show that to others. Whether it's in hospitality, 
whether that's in my speech, whether that's in service to someone. I need to bear fruit. Um, the parable of the sower is tough for me because I don't want to be the one that I don't want to be the one that just bears thirty fold. <laughs> I want to be the one that bears a hundred fold. It's not a competition. I don't think that's the the thing that Jesus is wanting them to get from that. I think Jesus is wanting them to see that in every way that you can, you bear fruit. And in that, God is glorified and he is pleased with you. I think one thing that we should do is really take a look at at our lives. And I'll give you one example. This is just a personal example that I don't think is too personal to be uncomfortable for anyone. But I thought a couple months ago about things, you know, things that I do here, things that I do even, whether it's other studies or whatever it might be. And I realized that, you know, I'm showing up and that's better than some. And I'm trying to help and I'm trying to make some comments and I'm putting a little bit of study time in, which is better than than some. But I, I really was not putting the time in that I needed to in preparation for classes and studies and sermons and song leading and whatever it is. Those are all outward things. And people appreciate them when you do them, even if you didn't put much time into it. But for me, and for what I want to accomplish, being that I want people to be encouraged and edified the best they can, I need to put in more time because that's the only way that I can expect God to be truly working through me. That's the only way I can truly expect to be fruitful. And it's not that I want the glory of people to say, well, that was amazing, you know. I can spend five minutes on something, and if I say something that really hits home for somebody, they can say, I really appreciate that. I could spend two hours on something and someone could say, you know, that really didn't click with me. It's not about the praise that comes from other people. It's about just the effect that you have on others around you. And one other thing I did want to mention, if we think about how to be fruitful, one of the greatest things that we can think about is our time together. It's very clear in Hebrews that we are here to stir up each other to love and good works. We're here to encourage each other to be fruitful, to go out and in whatever way we can to be fruitful and affect those that are around us in every good work that we find ourselves in. Um, So I, I think it's a blessing that we have each other here to do that. But I would encourage each of you to not only think about how you can be more effective and fruitful in the Lord, but also to consider how I can use the time I spend with with how you can spend the time you spend with each other here to stir that up amongst ourselves. Um, Not just like a rah-rah person, but someone grounded in the knowledge of the gospel and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, We didn't talk about a lot uh, how someone can be fruitful from a standpoint of actually having the seed that is planted within them in their heart. Uh, one of the things that is very clear in the parable of sower and then in Romans is that it's only a person that has been has put to death the things of the flesh by being baptized into Jesus Christ. That is the only person that can truly bear fruit because they're bearing fruit over in in the way of repentance, and therefore they're bearing fruit in the way of the Lord. Um, if that's something that you struggle with, you need help with, you need to know more about that. Um, I don't know if there is anyone like that here today, but I would love to talk to you about it. There are others here that would love to talk to you about it. Or if you just need help in seeing how you can bear fruit uh, for the Lord. I don't know if anyone here can tell you specifically all the things you need to do, but we all see things differently. So we can all challenge each other. So I would encourage you 
to reach out and talk to some people here, mm -hmm. have some conversations so that we can really encourage each other and stir each other up.